Hello and welcome back to the Tez News Podcast. I'm Tez Podcast producer Joshua Morris. We're currently on Easter break and we'll be returning next week to catch you back up on the latest education news and analysis. In the meantime, though, we thought we'd bring you some of the other great education coverage at Tez. So, while our news team are taking a well-deserved break from their podcast duties this week, we're featuring one of our latest Tez Podagogy episodes. If you're not familiar with the series and you're listening to this podcast, you really should be. Each episode, our host, Tez Features writer Kate Parker, talks to leading academics to discuss their research and the practical implications of their findings for the classroom. They start debates about pedagogy and take deep dives into some of the big issues facing teachers today. In the episode we're featuring today, she's joined by Dr. Mark Hardman. Hello, and welcome to Test Podagogy. This is a podcast which brings you everything that you need to know about teaching and learning, produced by the editors and writers at TES. We interview leading academics, start debates about pedagogy, and take deep dives into some of the big issues facing teachers today. As well as welcoming a range of new guests who will all discuss their research and the practical implications of their findings for the classroom, we will also feature relevant episodes from our archive. I'm Kate Parker, a features writer at TES, and this week my guest is Dr. Mark Hardman. Hardman is an Associate Professor at the Centre for Teachers and Teaching Research at UCL's Institute for Education. Some may know him from his involvement in research, which evaluated three pilot programmes in the Early Careers Framework, which was introduced in September. Responses to this framework have been mixed, and later in the podcast, Hardman and I discuss this. But first, he talks about teacher agency and why he believes it to be absolutely critical in schools today. So what exactly is teacher agency and why does it matter so much? So broadly, agency can be defined as the capacity of a teacher to make a change. But the reason it's hard to define is because it's not just to do with an individual. So agency is also to do with the environment and working collectively. Um, So a teacher might be best placed to make a change if they've got particular knowledge and also the confidence to do so. But it's also about having the resources and colleagues and also a policy which supports innovation. Mark Priestley and his colleagues uh, at the University of Stirling developed what they call an ecological model of teacher agency. And that helps us think about how teachers are agents kind of acting in an environment. We're trying to extend that by looking at the kind of knowledge and also the kind of environment that teachers need to have agency. And so why is this agency so important, not just obviously for teachers, but for their students as well? So I found it helpful to think about the things that teachers have agency in relation to. So teachers should have agency in developing the curriculum and the pedagogy, which best educates the young people they work with. But I think teachers should also have agency in terms of their own development over time. Going a bit more controversially, I think teachers should have agency in relation to really pressing issues in the world, like the climate emergency, social justice, misinformation, and sadly, war. Uh, So it's important for teachers to feel agentive because that makes teaching much more fulfilling. And we're starting to link fulfillment and sense of agency to the retention of teachers in the profession. Fundamentally, it's important for students that teachers have agency uh, because the teachers should be able to develop themselves, but also bring agency to bear on those challenges in the world today. Yeah, I guess when you look at, obviously, what the most pressing thing is um, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. Really, teachers need, do need to be able to bring, you know, talk to students in their class and kind of bring 
that to life a bit for those who didn't stay. And they, is, is that kind of, is that the agency that you're Absolutely. And that about? means they need to have knowledge about these issues. They need to feel confident that they can bring those into the classroom. They need to be able to innovate instead of just get bogged down in delivering a curriculum that's kind of dead to the world. So absolutely. According to Hardman then, teachers need to have agency within their own classrooms. And actually that agency can help retain them in the long run. So historically, how much has teacher agency actually been supported in the education system? And has this changed over time? Yeah, um, so I started teaching in 2004, and I think at that time I was gifted a reasonable level of agency in determining uh, what and how I taught. But even at that time, though, there were these large-scale undertakings like the National Strategies, and they were aimed at raising the standards of teaching by providing uh, quite tightly defined support and advice on the ways to teach. So it's important to note that agency is not the same as autonomy. A teacher trying Mm -hmm. to innovate alone might really have limited success, but it's working together across the profession, share innovation, think about curriculum, draw on research evidence, and that's what supports agency. My view is that I think the uh, ecology of teaching seems to be more diverse than it was 20 years ago. So in some settings, I'm seeing very tightly defined ways of teaching and highly specified content. So agency isn't at the level of individual teachers there. It's maybe at the level of the people that are designing the curriculum. That could be really good for a teacher in their first year or two of their careers because they're really clear about what it is they need to do. Uh, But in other settings, teachers work together. They work with people like us at universities. They innovate around curriculum and the ways they're teaching. And that might be more challenging, but I think ultimately that's more fulfilling in the long run. Mm. And obviously, you know, you can kind of see the impact of this, you know, on on the ground level in schools. But how much do you think then that that actually can drive education policy at the top? Yeah, as I've said, I think, I mean, even 20 years ago, there were national policies that were aimed at raising standards in teaching. Um, But the issue with a centralised policy is that it necessarily has to account for every classroom and apply in all the diverse settings you see around the country and around the world. So as the drive to improve standards has really got tighter and really focused more, my worry is that that's kind of displacing the capacity of teachers to innovate and to have agency. So if teachers are really focused on teaching predetermined things in predetermined ways, then innovation becomes about the most efficient and effective way of doing that, instead of constantly reflecting on the best forms of education for the issues in the world today. Um, But I I do think it's lazy to blame centralised policy alone. Perhaps controversially, I'd say it's also about teacher mindset and the expectations that teachers have and that they're given around their own roles. So the national curriculum in England does have space for teachers to determine what young people in each school need to learn, although it doesn't feel like that on the ground. I understand that. And teachers can get together and determine how they support each other and how they innovate in their teaching. And we've seen some really good practice around that. Mm. I think that's definitely, you know, kind of in prescriptive approaches coming out of the DOB, it does seem to be like there's been an increase the past, even I would say just the past year, kind of, you know, the stuff around behaviour and the guidance on that, um, attendance, you know, there seemed, and you could even say, you know, if you look at like phonics and, and the way that grammar's taught, for example, but I guess is it kind of about teachers having the confidence to take those frameworks and then adjust it to their own? you know, into their own contacts and their own setting. Is, is that? Yeah, kind of- that's it. And all of those frameworks are aimed at driving up standards. So I'm sympathetic to them. There's kind of evidence behind them, but they work in a kind of general way. And what needs to happen is teachers need to look at what's appropriate for their settings. And they can only really innovate in their own settings, in the classrooms, knowing the communities they're working with. So all of those national level policies, I think, are really good advice and they're really helpful. 
in trying to think about the kind of tools you might have to bring to the classroom. But teachers are the ones that are on the ground. They understand the pupils. They've got that day-to-day -day intuition, which can't really be accounted for in any of these national level policies. Hardman goes on to explain the research that he conducted with others around the ECF and how he's looking at this data set again, but this time through the lens of teacher agency. So we work with the Education Endowment Foundation and the Department for Education, and we were evaluating uh, three early pilot programmes around the ways to support early career teachers, ECTs, and their mentors. Um, and that was before the early rollout of the career framework. So we then fed into the national role, the rollout. Um, so each programme that we evaluated involved online content that the new teachers and their mentors work with, uh, and they also used instructional coaching, but they had different modes of supporting the ECTs and the mentors directly. We work with 98 schools in total, so across primary and secondary, and we used a kind of mixed methods approach. So that involved, it was quite intense, really, three waves of surveys to the ECTs, the mentors, and also the induction leads, which are the senior leaders responsible for um, the early career development. Then we did 20 case studies uh, with two rounds of interviews, and then we did observation of mentoring sessions, and we looked at all the online materials, and we looked at the documents and uh, the online participation as well. So we've produced a full report uh, on that, which is on the Education Endowment Foundation website, and people can download to have a look at that. We talked about the promise and the feasibility, but I've been going back to that data and re-examining it all in, uh, through the lens of agency and thinking about how the early career framework programs kind of supported, conditioned, and also restricted agency within that pilot program. Mm, because clearly, you know, I think, as, as you said, it's important for all teachers to have agency, but especially those at the very beginning of their career, um, it's really important that they're supported to have that, isn't it? Yeah, because that agency they're given at the start of their career is all about how they develop themselves. So I think the, the modes of... Uh, the modes they come to understand the ways in which they're going to continue to grow are hugely important for lots of reasons. To begin with, Hardman talks about his analysis around how teacher agency was supported by the ECF pilots. So one aspect of the programme uh, which was evaluated most positively were the ways in which the kind of cutting-edge research was brought to practice. So all of the programmes involve summaries of research which have been carefully selected by the developers and then activities which allow the early career teachers and their mentors to apply it to practice in their own schools. In fact, uh, that application we found to be really significant as a factor in how the programme supported agency. So when the mentors and the early career teachers both had time to support um, their own contextualisation and apply the materials and think about how that research applied in practice, then they really gained the knowledge and skills they needed uh, to think about their own development. Um, another thing we learned about the pilots was that the early career framework really has the potential to promote the role of mentors. Mentors play a really significant role in developing the agency of new teachers. And I'd say from my experience in schools over the years that, that uh, mentoring is a, a role that people find important, but it's kind of a bolt-on and sometimes it's a job that people do uh, out of the goodness of their own hearts because they want to support their own colleagues. What we saw was that investing time in mentoring really, really played out in the medium term so that all the time you've spend developing mentors is ultimately going to make teaching better for years to come. And that's difficult to see when you've got the day-to-day -day pressures, but that's a really important thing that potentially the early career framework could highlight. Mm, I guess kind of the key thing within that is, um, is that time, isn't it? You know, there's been a lot of um, feedback from teachers and the mentors going through this for the first year that having that time, and we've spoken about it before, you know, having 
the time to to spend with the mentors, having the time to really look at that research. So do you think, you know, is there anything in there that maybe needs, you know, looking forward to the way that the ECF works in order to really bring out that, that agency, you know, in those two areas? Do, we, do they need more time? Yeah, well, we fed that back to the DfE and they did put a package of uh, money in for schools to try and support the time of mentors. But of course, it's never enough. It never can be enough. Mm. We did the calculation. It just doesn't work out enough, really. Uh, but I think it is also to do with culture. So it wasn't really about the time per se. It was about the prioritization of time. So it's the role of the mentor. Um, okay, so a mentor's got a class in front of them and they want to do the best by that class. And then the second priority, if you like, is the early career teacher. They want to support and, and really kind of pastorally care for that early career teacher. So their own development becomes kind of the third thing in their priority list. And it's really mm-hmm. difficult for them to focus on their own development. It almost feels selfish. And I think that's a cultural shift that's needed. So yes, it's about pure time. Of course it is. But it's also about prioritizing the time. And we found that some induction leads and some senior leaders were much clearer in saying, right, this is the thing that you need to focus on. This is why we've given you the time and this is my expectation around it. And so that really helped. That really kind of started to shift the culture to show that mentoring is an important part of the job. Mm. That's the kind culture shift takes time as well, doesn't it? You know, we're only in the, you know, the first year of it. And actually, do you think that maybe as as it goes on and as, you know, we get into the third, fourth year of it, that, that there will be that culture shift across all schools? Yeah, I hope so. And But it is to do with kind of seeing it as something that's an opportunity, which is hugely difficult. You've got a new policy initiative um, and that's kind of just, it's come at a very, very difficult time for schools, dealing with the end of the, the pandemic, if we can call it the end of the pandemic, dealing mm-hmm. with all the other pressures that are coming on uh, online. And of course, it's just another thing for them to deal with. So it's very difficult for schools to take stock and think, okay, this is an opportunity to rethink things. But I genuinely believe, and we've seen some schools where they've done that, then that's this is you know the framework around which you can start to think about what really the new teachers need and what do all your teachers need in terms of their own development to keep them fulfilled but also to carry on developing so yeah it's an opportunity but i can see why it's not really been taken on next he goes on to how teacher agency was conditioned but also restricted So we found in the evaluation that agency is really conditioned by the way that the early career framework is sequenced. Um, So a support program might be focusing on the behaviour management one week when actually the new teacher was struggling with differentiation. Uh, And this comes back to what I was saying about centralised innovation and centralised policy. So I understand the intention, we should have a really clear sequenced uh, learning of the new teachers over time, which is great, but that isn't so responsive to what teachers' needs are a particular moment in the development. So coming back to what you were saying about how this might work in two or three years' time, I hope that mentors are able to kind of see what's coming forward in the programme, be able to draw it forwards and backwards depending on the needs. But of course, the first is the same as when you're teaching a new curriculum, the first or second time through, you don't really know what the whole curriculum looks like. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that changes over time as well. But it did condition things because they were kind of learning things which weren't directly relevant to what they needed, and it separated the learning from the programme to their kind of day-to-day learning. And I'm hoping that changes over time. Um, another thing which we've already talked about is that kind of expectations of the senior and middle leaders around the program. So where they were fully supportive, but they also kind of made clear that their expectations were that the mentors 
um, and the ECTs developed in this way, then it became much easier to do. And the induction lead was hugely important there. So as I said, that's a senior leader responsible for supporting the new teachers. And they tended to manage up, they would manage the head teacher and they would kind of work with their senior colleagues to explain why they were protecting the mentors and ECTs in certain ways. Um, for example, that by, might be navigating how the early career teacher development fits to whole school development um, and whether those two things are aligned or whether those two things are separate and there's, there's kind of excess workload from that. Um, but it also comes back to mindset, so recognising that you have to invest time in the de development and improvement of teaching um, so that down the line the teachers feel more fulfilled, but also they're kind of able to look beyond the day-to-day -day pressures and think about their own development over time, and that's hard. Mm. And so then when it comes to how teacher agency was restricted, what did you find there? Yeah, so I think, I mean, a real risk to agency that's coming up again and again in research is what um, our colleague Gert Biester calls technological approach to education. So in the case of the early career framework, that's where teachers end up focusing too narrowly on doing the things specified by the programme rather than the mm. broader sense of developing their practice and their agency. Um, as with any policy initiative, there's a particular issue when new programs come up against the existing ones. So we found that some new teachers were engaging in the support program, but they were also completing all the old induction and development processes that were in place in the school. Um, so one in, in one extreme case, I saw a teacher who was writing up notes during the mental meeting, which isn't ideal because you're not focused on what you're actually talking about. But then they were copying it into an online system and then they were logging it in a journal for the multi-academy trust. And none of that was supporting his reflection or integrating new ideas into practice. It was just a kind of set of pointless processes. Um, so our evaluation showed that schools need to de-implement. They need to take away some of their existing processes, which which of course requires confidence from the induction lead. Um, but more broadly, it's also a, a case of schools really considering what the early career teachers are having to do and what's helpful for them and also for the mentors and what's perhaps a hindrance and is just a, a paper exercise. Uh, one notion that came up when we were looking at this in the evaluation team talking informally was that the early career framework could become a cuckoo in the nest, kind of pushing out all the time and resources that teachers have to form their own meaningful development. So for example, mm. um, particularly the focus around school subjects within the framework. So again, because it's a centralized innovation, the framework uh, has to work across all phases and all school subjects, and it can only speak generically about subject teaching. But we know that a teacher who's uh, supporting year one reading has a hugely different set of skills and knowledge to the, a teacher that's thinking about A-level physics. So our centre does a lot of research around social justice, and we also know that teachers have to understand the communities they work with. So those kind of things, thinking about the subject, thinking about the particular communities that you're working with, thinking about the class in front of you, none of that can be specified by the early career framework. The framework is a framework, and then you need to build on that and, and fill that out, if you like, with all of the things that, that a teacher in your setting actually needs to know. And the risk is that agency gets reduced to finding ways of completing the programme. Of, of fulfilling the tick box around the framework instead of using it as a tool, as a frame to really develop genuine agency. Mm. And when it comes to kind of, you know, developing that subject knowledge um, and developing, you know, the things for your context, I mean, what do we know works best for teachers to do that? Is, is it kind of case of like joining your subject association? Is it, you know, making sure that you are having regular meetings within your department and sharing expertise? Um, you know, if you're in a multi-academy trust, maybe across schools, you know, what sort of what sort of ways do you think that we could support teachers in that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So all of those things you said, <laughs> perfect. So the, um, <laughs> the subjects associations and kind of working collectively with people within your own subjects has been shown time and time again to be really powerful. Um, but it's also recognizing that the kind of measures of what successful is might look different in different places. I'm doing a lot of work with Scandinavia, actually. I work with um, colleagues in Sweden and also in Finland, and they have a completely different view. Effectively, they talk about the didactic tradition, which has to do with the fact that teaching one subject is entirely different practice from teaching another subject. Whereas in the kind of Anglo-Saxon tradition, we've gone more for a kind of general pedagogy, and then you add the subject to that. Um, so it is hugely different in, in the way that we look at things. I remember an example actually talking to a teacher during the evaluation who was a PE teacher, and he was saying, well, the, the early career framework leaves group work right until the end, um, because in mm -hmm. a maths classroom, you perhaps need to think about group work once you've really mastered a lot of the other aspects of teaching. But in PE, group work's the first thing we need to know about. So again, it's that recognition that different subjects are going to need different things, even from the framework, and things might need to come in at different times. And the only people that are able to do that really are the mentors and the subject specialists and the people in the departments. And also in primary schools, you know, the, the subject specialists within primary schools, thinking about how that works across the early phases. Um, so, yeah, it's collegiate working with people that understand this stuff and recognising that the framework isn't the be-all and end-all of how you're going to develop as a teacher. So with the importance of teacher agency clear, Hardman highlights lessons that schools can take from the research, specifically when it comes to early careers teachers. Yeah, um, so a shameless plug, <laughs> the Centre for Teachers and Teaching Research, we've produced some guides on this. We felt that schools really needed some information around this, so we've produced some freely available guides that you can download. Um, from our website, which are aimed at teachers and senior leaders thinking about how to implement the early career framework. Um, so I hope people will look at those. But thinking specifically around agency, I'd say the key is really just taking a moment to look at the processes and the relationships that are going to allow new teachers to develop this agency. And, and thinking about agency quite broadly, that's agency in the classroom, but it's agency in developing their own practice. And as I've said, I think it's also agency in relation to all the issues in the world today. How do teachers engage with those issues in a meaningful way and bring them into their classrooms? Um, but I've been a teacher and I've worked with hundreds of teachers all over the country and I've visited schools all over the world. And I know that people listening to this are going to be thinking it's all well and good, but we're tired, we're overwhelmed, we've got so much to focus on and we want to do the best for the students that are in front of us now. And I get that, I really get that. But I just want to say that having agency takes confidence as well, the confidence to kind of take a moment to look at what's going on, decide what needs changing for the future and the better. Um, and I think in this case, what are the best ways to develop teachers so they can feel fulfilled? and actually make a difference in the world. And I think ultimately everything can lead from that. So my advice would be to kind of, um, at a school level especially, to just have a look at the processes and the way that teachers are given agency to develop their own practice and to really think about the world. And I think that will pay off in the long term. It feels like another thing to stop and do, but it's ultimately got a huge payoff, I think, for education in general. Please join us again next week when we will be going back to 2020 when our editor John Severs talked to Michael Young about powerful knowledge. Until then, thank you for listening. <laughs>